All right, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21, God's word says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, hear this, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, this is the word of the Lord. The ministry of Jesus, in a nutshell, especially at this point, is both radical and uh, scandalous in light of the expectations of the Jews. And you hear that word scandalous, and you're like, what in the world are you talking about? As we know it, scandal has the connotation of something immoral occurring. That's not what I'm intending when I use this word. Uh, It is originally derived from this Greek word scandalon, meaning this. This is the original intent of this word, stumbling block or cause of offense. I think it's fitting when we look at this beautiful presentation of the gospel that Jesus is giving to Nicodemus, the Pharisee. The word is fitting in this story because the Messiah and the grace he brings is radically different than anyone anticipated. The Jewish leaders were caught off guard by the ministry of Jesus. It's radical and scandalous to think of this, thinking back to John chapter 1, of our majestic and holy God taking on human flesh and descending into human creation. It's radical and scandalous to think of God in the flesh submitting to the rite of a baptism of repentance and the ministry of John the Baptist. It's radical and scandalous to witness Jesus' first sign turning water into wine, signifying this, the old way fading away and a new and better way coming in. 
sin. And it's radical and scandalous that Jesus methodically braided together a whip to clear the temple courts. We have witnessed uh, this radical and scandalous sign of Jesus at the wedding of Cana a few weeks ago. His work in clearing out the temple courts. And now this morning we hear the words of Jesus himself in this interaction with this powerful Jewish religious leader and teacher, Nicodemus. And this brings us to our main idea. Sometimes I say when I'm preaching, hey, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, walk away with this, please. This is one of those moments. If you don't get anything else from this morning, hear this main idea. You must be born again to have eternal life. You must be born again to have eternal life. And when the Bible uses that word life, eternal life, it's not necessarily meaning quantity, but quality. It's the quality of the life that we have for eternity unending. The center point of this passage is the startling answer to Nicodemus's initial statement towards Jesus. Uh, Nicodemus is coming to engage Jesus, I believe, in a debate to discuss with him uh, his teachings and where he's coming from. But Jesus takes this, this question or this challenge to discussion, and he ties in these two uh, main ideas here. I'm going to tie in the beginning and ending of this passage to summarize our main idea. Verse 3, and then we'll skip to the end. Verse 3 says this, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus ends this discussion by saying this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That is the human condition. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be seen clearly that his works have been carried out in God. And the only way that one comes into the light is through this. It's our first point, a new birth from above. Through a new birth from above, by being given a new nature. I've said this a number of times in preaching this series. We call ourselves born-again Christians. If we're in Christ, we call ourselves born-again Christians. And this title stems directly from this particular passage, that we must be born again We could also translate this statement, born from above. That's what it literally reads as, is born from above, born from something outside of us. We are reborn through a spirit outside of ourselves, God's Holy Spirit. Here we witness in this interaction, not only a powerful collision uh, between the Jewish religious establishment and the Son of God, but also a powerful collision of the physical and spiritual realm of the world. These these are are two realms that are deeply intertwined, and we see this understanding emerge in Jesus' statement as he responds uh, to Nicodemus. Going back through again now the first three verses, of John chapter 3, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, so he's an important guy, right? We can come to that conclusion. This man came to Jesus by night. Okay, that is significant. John uses that word on purpose. He's coming under the cover of darkness uh, because of reason one, he, maybe he's embarrassed with interacting with Jesus. 
And I think John's using night as symbolically that Nicodemus is still in darkness. His heart is still clouded by darkness. And he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, what's interesting is Jesus answers this question, but I don't really see a question in Nicodemus' statement. Okay, It's almost an engagement with Jesus to create debate or discussion. And Jesus answers, Jesus cuts to the chase with Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, here it is again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Very clear. You must be born again. Now we can begin to understand Nicodemus has a partial understanding of the ministry of Jesus. There seems to be some sort of clouded respect there towards Jesus. But his partial understanding is because he he has not been born again or born from above, as we said. He's not been born of the Spirit. He has a head knowledge. He's seen what Jesus can do. He seems to have connected the dots that he's from God. He couldn't do these things unless he was from God. But has not fully embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is likely why he's coming to Jesus under uh, the cover of darkness at night. If if Nicodemus at this point has any belief in Jesus, it's hidden from public view. It's not known. And so who is this Nicodemus? Who is this guy? Nicodemus, it says in the text, was a Pharisee and a seemingly well-respected teacher among the Jews of this time. Jesus would later call him in this passage, the teacher of Israel. So he's a well-respected guy. He's a Pharisee, knows the scriptures inside and out. He probably has them memorized, and he's teaching them. And so it could bring us to this question in this particular passage, was Nicodemus ultimately saved? Was he born again? I believe so, just not at this point. There's evidence that he was favorable towards Jesus. We'll meet uh, Nicodemus again in chapter 7. In chapter 7, there's a little dust-up between uh, the religious establishment and Jesus, and, and Nicodemus kind of sticks up for Jesus in that issue. But ultimately, we meet Nicodemus again in chapter 19. If you know John's gospel, chapter 19 is when Jesus dies on the cross. After the death of Jesus, there's two men of importance, Joseph of Arimathea, And the text notes, Nicodemus. Nicodemus brings costly spices to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Okay, so here's the picture. At this point, where are the disciples? You guys know? They've scattered. They've fled. They're gone. Who's by Jesus' side now? Nicodemus. And it's cost him a lot of money. These spices weren't cheap, and they were hard to come by. And he's preparing the body of Christ for burial. Even Jesus' disciples had fled at this point. Nicodemus comes onto the scene. I believe, I believe there's sufficient evidence to assume that Nicodemus likely became a follower of Jesus at some point. We don't know when that was, but I believe he had faith in Christ that he was eventually born again. But I don't believe there's enough evidence in this passage to think that it's happened right now. Why? Because disciples of Jesus are given a new nature, and through that new nature, they follow after Jesus. Nicodemus here is not following after Jesus at this point in his life. 
That seems to have come later. We see in this interaction with Nicodemus that salvation, that is being born again, is this. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. Jesus doesn't enter into the argument or debate with Nicodemus. He simply does this. He proclaims the truth of his greatest need. And his greatest need, Nicodemus' greatest need, is spiritual renewal or new birth, to be born again, to be born from above. He needs a new nature. This is, if we understand who Nicodemus is, this is startling that Jesus would say that to him. If Nicodemus was, was among us, he would be the guy that knew all the answers to the Bible. He had it memorized. He was teaching. He was a teacher of the law. He was, had to be, as a Pharisee, an outwardly moral man. He lived a good life outwardly. When you looked at him, you're like, you would say these words. I would say, hey, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. But Jesus is saying here, even he, even Nicodemus, must be born again, born from above. And so coming out of this point, before we jump to our, our next point, I got a couple lines in there. I have some application for you this morning. If we begin to understand as we travel through this passage that salvation is indeed a spiritual battle, and it requires us to be born again or born from above. We'll dig a little bit deeper into that in our next point. As those who are, uh, uh, most of us would be professing Christians in here, that we would be born again Christians. How then do we draw practical application in our present mission? So Jesus has given us a mission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How do I take this passage and, and apply that to that command, that commission that Jesus has, has given me? Is this, if it's a spiritual battle, then we have to use the spiritual means that God has given us to draw the lost to him. And the number one spiritual means that, that God has given us is this. It's the power of prayer. We have to, church, we have to pray for the lost. We have to pray for the skeptic, for the unbeliever. And so right there's some lines on there, write prayer in there. We must contend on behalf of those who do not yet know Jesus. On our knees, pleading with God to save them. And so prayer, we see prayer and this, God has given us a means that we proclaim the gospel to the lost. We speak truth just as Jesus did here. He says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So we pray and proclaim, pray and proclaim. Number two, we see in this passage a new covenant, the hint of a new covenant. We see the Holy Spirit's power. We see the Holy Spirit's power. This passage is absolutely loaded with Old Testament allusions. Jesus knows that Nicodemus knows the Old Testament. That's the scriptures at the time. And he's using allusions back to the Old Testament to try to help Nicodemus to understand who he is and to teach us. 
I believe this next section is an allusion back to the prophet Ezekiel's message of a time when God's spirit will be within his people, ushering in a time of grace and mercy under a new covenant through faith. We'll read that in just a second. But looking now to John 3, 4 to 8, says this, Nicodemus said to him, so Nicodemus is perplexed about this born again statement, rightly so. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't even want to think about that. He doesn't get it, obviously. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, hear this, of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the, enter the kingdom of God. Kind of bank that statement away. When we go to Ezekiel 36, we're going to bring that back up again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Why? Because the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. He's using that now as an illustration. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, God's Holy Spirit. In this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, Jesus is pointing this learned, this well-versed man of the scriptures back to the scriptures. Even in this moment, I believe Jesus is teaching us about himself from the Bible itself. Jesus is already interpreting his life through what the scriptures say. Here's a truth you can walk away with. All of this is about him. It's all about Jesus. I do believe he's alluding, he's recalling Ezekiel 36, possibly a little bit of Ezekiel 37. In Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, the prophet says this. I don't have this on the screen. I'll just read it to you. It says, I will sprinkle you with clean water. Do you remember Jesus talking about water? I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Hear this now. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Did you hear that? Water, spirit. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's good news right there. Jesus here with with Nicodemus, he's connecting the dots. Nicodemus has surely memorized the scriptures. He surely knows this prophecy. He's actually teaching the word of God. He's a teacher. He's the teacher of Israel. That's what Jesus says. Jesus brings in view a new covenant time that will be ushered in by this, by purification, that's what Ezekiel speaks of with water, and by the giving of the Spirit of God. I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he says you must be born of water and spirit. And here's the truth. Jesus is, in fact, the means by which Ezekiel's prophecy comes to pass. Jesus is the fulfillment of that passage. He is the purification of his people and the giving of the Holy Spirit is connected with the ministry of Jesus. That's why he said, it's better for me to go so that you will have the gift that I give you. And God's Holy Spirit causes us to be born again. We're given a new nature. The old is stripped away. The new comes. Causing us then, what did Ezekiel say? Causing us to walk in the ways of the Lord.
Nicodemus should be able to see what is occurring through the ministry of Jesus, and he should be able to recognize what Jesus is alluding to through his knowledge of the scriptures. But even this man cannot. He can't comprehend. Because apart, here's the truth for you, because apart from a powerful work of the Spirit, just as promised in Scripture, he does not understand. It's God's Holy Spirit that awakens us to the truth, our need of him. Nicodemus's head knowledge alone does not lead him to recognize Jesus because Nicodemus needs a new heart, just like what Ezekiel talked about. His hard heart of stone needed to be removed and he needed to be given a heart of flesh that understood his need for a savior, Jesus. When we bring understanding of who Jesus is and merge this with the powerful work of the spirit, a person is surely born again. That head understanding and the heart being transformed Every time someone is saved, family, it's a miracle from God. It's a miracle. This is why we can't argue a lost soul into the kingdom of God. We are merely vessels, family. Hear this. We are merely vessels. Some of you are contending so hard to argue people into the kingdom of God, and you don't have that kind of power. You put too much pressure on yourself. Contend for the lost on your knees in prayer and proclaiming the truth. That's what God has called you to. That's all. Pray and proclaim and then rely on the power of God. We proclaim the truth as Jesus does here. He gives us a beautiful model of sharing your faith. Proclaim the truth. Pray for God to do a powerful work. You see those lines on your paper there? Pray, proclaim, wait for God to do something powerful. Write it down. Please, write it on your notes. Many of you put so much pressure on yourself because of lost family and friends. Rely on the means that God has given you. If I put that kind of pressure on myself as a pastor, as a preacher, I would never be able to rest or sleep. God has called me to pray and proclaim the truth of the word of God and then allow the power of God to do the work so that I can go home Sunday afternoon right after this. I'm going to lay down on my couch. I'm going to turn on some sort of sporting event and I'm going to sleep like a baby. Because it's not me. It's God that's doing the work. And when God does the work, he gets all the glory and credit. And that's the way it should be. All right, number three. We see here a new frontier, the son's obedience. A new frontier is breaking into this present conversation. Something new is coming. That's been a theme we've been hitting on each and every week as we've gone through John. Something new is coming. It's better than the old way, which merely pointed to the new. That's what Nicodemus doesn't understand, is that the old thing pointed to the new thing coming. Nicodemus says to him in verses 9 to 15, he still doesn't get it. How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
Hear this. Now Jesus is going to point him to the Old Testament one more time. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Man, this passage is just loaded. It's becoming clear to us that Nicodemus just doesn't get it, right? How can these things be, he says. This new frontier is breaking into Nicodemus' heart, but it's still foreign to him. He still doesn't understand where Nicodemus, as a teacher of Israel, should understand what is occurring, what the scriptures have attested to all along. Hear this. He is missing the point. He's missing the point. And here Jesus will push the line even further because Jesus is no mere rabbi or teacher as Nicodemus called him earlier. That was the title that he said. But Jesus is actually, hear this truth, God in the flesh. Right in the midst of Nicodemus, face to face, he's conversing with God And if he is, we can draw this conclusion. If Jesus is God in the flesh, then he possesses all the attributes of God. He possesses this, all knowledge and truth. What's the conclusion? Then Jesus cannot mislead Nicodemus. He can only tell him the truth. Because Jesus bears witness to what he has seen. Where did Jesus come from? What was he saying in that last section? He came from heaven. He descended from heaven. He descended to earth to reveal heavenly things to humanity. That humans, that we may believe in the one, that is Jesus, who will be lifted up. Jesus, once again, here in this passage, points to what he will accomplish in his his earthly life from Scripture. He uses Scripture to teach about himself. And this is purposeful because Nicodemus was a man of the Scriptures. Maybe Nicodemus will understand this Old Testament allusion. Jesus now compares himself to the serpent Moses lifted up in the wilderness. Some of you may be like, what in the world is this talking about? Glad you asked that question. In Numbers uh, 21.9, so back way back in the Old Testament, so I'll give you just kind of a quick synopsis of what Jesus is getting at here. The Israelites, so this is before Jesus, the Israelites have been freed from enslavement to Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They're now making their way from Egypt to the land that God had promised. And just like all of us probably do, they became impatient with God and with Moses, and they began to grumble and complain and to loathe the miraculous provision the Lord had given them. And so God's response was, This is God's word. I didn't make this up. God's response was, I'm going to send some snakes and start to bite them, and they're going to start dying. Kind of crazy, isn't it? So God sent snakes against the Israelites to punish them. 
Moses responds by praying on behalf of the people, and the Lord answered Moses' prayer by instructing him to do this. We, we find this, you can write this down, Numbers 21.9, or I think it's in your notes there. You can go back and read this later on. I'm not making this up. Moses prays, and the Lord answers and says, Make a fiery serpent out of bronze, from bronze, set it on a pole, and if anyone is bit by a serpent, okay, so we have this pole lifted up, they are to look up to the pole, and it says this, and they will live. Jesus now is using this and saying, Hey, do you remember that thing you know from the Old Testament? That points to me too. Jesus, once again, is is made known through types and shadows in the Old Testament. Here, Jesus now is connecting what occurred in the wilderness long ago to what is going to happen to him when he is raised up on a cross, when he is fastened by nails that are driven through his flesh and his blood is shed on the cross for us. Jesus will be lifted up onto a cross to bear the sin of the world, bringing purification and the washing away of sin through his blood. And this is the truth that we can draw from this passage. Those who look to Jesus lifted up, that is exalted high above all things, will receive this purification, will be filled with his Holy Spirit. They will be born again. They will be saved from certain death. Nicodemus, this this learned man of the Scripture, this well-versed teacher, should be able to discern and understand this radical ministry of Jesus, but at this point, he doesn't get it. Why? Because he's still living under the law. You see, the, the truth of the matter is, we, I think we all have this innate desire. We want law. What do I mean by that? We want to believe we're good enough. We want to believe that we follow the rules. And it seems like we do because we always compare ourselves to like the most detestable figures of history, don't we? Like, well, I'm way better than that mass murderer that existed, you know, decades ago. We want law. We want to check a box. We want to fill out the card. We want, I want to do this, 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 and this, and then I'm good. I'm okay. We want to believe we're good enough. We've done enough. We have enough. Nicodemus merely wants this at this point in his life. He wants head knowledge. He wants a box he can check. He wants to figure out what Jesus is doing. He wants a rule he can follow. But Jesus intercedes and says, no, you need this. You don't need more new rules. You need a new heart. You need my spirit. You see, the law was given to reveal to reveal our need for the work of another to save us. The law is not bad in and of itself. It is, it is in fact a good gift from the Lord, and in it it is revealed that we need Jesus. Our condition is hopeless apart from him. We need the work of another. We need a new nature given by the Spirit. And also the law gives way to this. The law gives way to the gospel. The law gives way to the gospel, and it brings us to our concluding point, which is the scandal of grace. We see the Father's love in this beautiful closing section of John chapter 3. Why is the gospel scandalous? 
Because the religious leaders, and if I'm honest, all of us probably thought that we had it figured out. We thought the law could save us. We thought if I was just good enough or I did enough or I had enough that I'd be okay. But they, we, didn't realize that even in in outward obedience to God's law, our hearts in and of themselves are still desperately wicked and in our need of change. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Nicodemus came to Jesus in darkness. John does not use this word by accident. It is purposeful. It is to show that Nicodemus didn't understand the light of Christ that was before him. His outward adherence to the law could not save him. That is Nicodemus' adherence. But only, hear this, only the light of the world could accomplish this. And in this next section here, we're going to read verses 16 to 18. We witness the very heart of the Father's love for his creation in this powerful summary of the gospel. Let me read it to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in in the name of the only Son of God. A beautiful summary of the gospel for us, the the stumbling block of grace, that we indeed, hear this, we have no ability to earn the favor of God apart from this, apart from belief in the finished work of Jesus. This is the scandal of grace because we think that we are good enough. We think we've done enough. But through the powerful work and revealing of the Holy Spirit, we can truly come to understand our need for a Savior. And again, his name is Jesus. We need Jesus. This is what Jesus has done. We want to make much of him this morning. This is what he has done. Jesus did actually fulfill the law. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is fully obedient to the will of his father. Jesus is spotless. Jesus is the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That whoever believes in his work above their own work will be saved. And apart from belief in Jesus, the condemnation of God awaits. That's what his word teaches. And so I I beg of you this morning, believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you will be saved. If you are in Christ, this is our response this morning. We praise God for his great love for us. We don't take any credit, not one ounce of credit for our salvation. It's all a work of him. He gets all the glory. And he has shown this love in the pouring out of his Holy Spirit on our hearts Our hearts, which were one time clouded in darkness, he saved us through the obedience of his son, Jesus. So we see the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus who was sent to save those that the Father had entrusted to him. And we receive this salvation by looking to him, just as Jesus instructed Nicodemus to look up. Look up to the son who is highly exalted. God the Father decreed, this is no accident This didn't happen by accident. God knew, the Father knew exactly what he was going to do to his glory from all of eternity, from his heart of love and for his greater glory. And family, we are, what do we do with this now? We are entrusted with this reconciling message. 
this beautiful message of the gospel. We have a mission to do. This is urgent. We are to pray on behalf of those who don't know Christ and proclaim uh, the message of his goodness and grace through Jesus. We are to follow after Jesus' example here. We proclaim the truth to those who are still in darkness. We shine light and we pray the Lord will change hard hearts. We don't pray enough. We pray and proclaim and we, and we rely on the powerful work of God. If you sit among us today and have not placed your confidence in the one, that is Jesus, who is faithful to save, I, I plead with you, I invite you to do so today. I call, I call to you who, who are in darkness my, my prayer is to shine light on you today through the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would pour out on you, that you would be transformed from the inside out today, that you would be transformed more and more into the image of God's Son, Jesus, today, that God's Holy Spirit would remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that, that beats after him, that you would be purified by the blood of Christ. God, would you today purify us and fill us anew and cause us, Lord, as your word says, to walk in your ways. Amen.